before my message, I'd like to take the opportunity to welcome the students from South City Community School and their families who are worshiping with us today. I'm glad you are here, and I pray that your worship will be meaningful and a blessing to you. Thank you for being here. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever held a belief that you've changed before? Maybe as a kid, there were things you believed, and then as you grew up, you came to know that they were not true. Perhaps school changed it all for you. Maybe your interactions with others made you question what you thought you knew to be true, and now you are not so certain anymore. It may just have happened through your own observations of our world, and your conclusion may be that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Or perhaps you may have concluded through those same observations and interactions that the world is changing rapidly, maybe too rapidly, and not all for the good. You may feel threatened by it if you have concluded that things are getting worse. From the violent swings of the weather to the mass shootings that keep happening with increasing frequency. Politics is no better. You are hoping that things will get better, but you're not sure they will because no good solutions seem to be in sight. You know from the word of God that this world as we know it will come to an end, maybe violently, but maybe sometimes you wonder if that will really happen based on what people have predicted in the past. Some people have predicted the end of the world, this world, by giving the exact date and time that it will happen. Nothing happened. Some went on to revise their calculations because they said they made a few mathematical errors, but their revised predictions were also false. Their followers gave away their possessions, gathered at agreed locations for the end to come, but the world stayed the same. So now when people hear that the world will come to an end, they don't believe it. Doubt about the coming end of the world have been around for a really long time since Jesus went back to heaven. There has been a lot of progress in science and our knowledge of the world. Information about things that happen in this world is nearly instantaneous. We know as soon as they happen with pictures and videos. We have become smarter, or so we think. So if something has been predicted to occur and it hasn't happened for such a long time, we might be lured into thinking that it will never really happen. Someone might even subject you to ridicule if you tell them that you believe that this world will one day come to an end and we will get to see Jesus for ourselves with our own eyes. In the gospel reading for today, we are told that some of Jesus' disciples commented to him about how magnificent the temple was. The ending of the world was probably not on the minds of those who spoke to Jesus about the massive temple. That temple seemed to have been built to last forever, judging by the huge stones that had been used to build it. 
I wonder how they felt when Jesus said that such an edifice will be brought down completely. Jesus did not end there. He said some rather frightening things. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. He told them that some of them, we told them what will happen to some of them, dragged before kings and governors, tortured and killed. This revelation was fulfilled rather quickly. It is a historical fact. Certainly, the disciples were persecuted within a very short time after Jesus had gone back to heaven. We know that from the Bible. From outside the Bible, the first century Jewish historian Josephus reported on the siege of Jerusalem and the subsequent destruction of the temple in 70 AD. He wrote this, countless thousands of Jews died of hunger. In every house where there was the least morsel of food, relatives fought over it. Gaping with hunger, the outlaws prowled around like mad dogs, gnawing at anything, belts, shoes, and even the leather from their shields. He noted, that the famine was so severe that some even resorted to cannibalism. He concluded with this sad note. The Canaanites were driven from Jerusalem by King David, who established his own people there. The Babylonians destroyed it 477 years and six months later, and Titus 1,179 years after David. So ended the siege of Jerusalem. What Jesus said happened. People may not recognize it as such and only see it as one nation fighting against another nation or the barbarity of one nation against another. But it was God who was using an evil empire for his own purposes. It was something that was orchestrated by God to demonstrate his displeasure against the rebellion and disobedience of people whom he had called to be his own. Yet even in his righteous anger, Against that willful disobedience, God allowed, also allowed people to escape. Why? So they will write about it and tell us that God means business. More importantly, so they will let us know that God desires people to be saved from the coming wrath by believing in Jesus Christ alone. When Jesus spoke about the things that would happen to Jerusalem and the temple, he also spoke about the things that would happen well beyond that to the end of the world. He said there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaking. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming with, in, in a cloud with power and great glory. It will be a frightening time, something you want to escape from. How do I know this to be true? I know because the one who said these things is God. He knows the beginning from the end. Not only that, but remember Jerusalem in 70 AD. If the first of his dual predictions, revelations, have already come true, there's no reason to believe that a second and final, more comprehensive thing will not happen as well. Hurricanes continue to occur and cause massive destruction. We remember Hurricane, massive Hurricane Ian. And just last week, 
Hurricane Nicole. You see destruction coming, and you cannot do anything to stop it. Sirens go off, and still tornadoes don't stop in their tracks, and they cause destruction and death. Wars, we've seen many wars. We know about the war in Ukraine. That started nine months ago, and it's still raging on. The lives lost, the trauma that people are going to experience for the rest of their lives. We've been doing all we can, using all the skills and ingenuity we can master and all the technology that is available to us, and still the upheavals persist. Because these terrifying things have been happening for a long time, it's quite natural not to see any spiritual significance to them and that they will just continue to happen until the end of time, whenever that time will be. After all, they don't happen everywhere all at once. But what if one day they all happen all at once, everywhere, things in the sky and things on the earth, so terrifying and yet no escape for anyone? We can't pick up the pieces and go on with our lives. We can't rush in aid and perhaps save some people. Destruction on such a massive scale is not impossible if God has a hand in it. And why would all this destruction take place? Is it because our God is a mean God who is only interested in destruction? No, absolutely not. He is a merciful and loving God, the only one. All the destruction will happen because the whole world has been in rebellion against God from the beginning up to the present time. Some say things have gotten worse. Maybe it's because the world's population is larger or because we have the ability to know what is going on far more quickly now. But certainly, many more people disagree with what God desires for them in his will as revealed to us in his commandments. We live in a world where people twist the word of God to suit their own desires. They minimize it or reject it altogether. They see no need to change their minds about it. For those who do not believe in God, they can say, there is nothing like disobedience or rebellion against God if I don't believe in God. Nobody tells me what to do or what not to do. Certainly not some identity I cannot see or hear. If they remain that way and never change and come to Jesus, they have no way of escaping the terrors of that day that is coming. But it is not only those who do not believe in God who are in danger of missing the everlasting peace and joy that Jesus is bringing with him at his return and not guaranteed escaping the terrors of that day. We too, we too who believe in Jesus can be in danger as well if we do not acknowledge that we break his laws. Not merely acknowledging, but going to God and asking for his forgiveness. Sometimes we might say that what we do or say doesn't hurt anybody, so it's okay. It's okay and we do not need to tell God that we have done anything against him and against our neighbor, either in thought or word or deed. Suppose my friend and I got together and we say negative things about another person and laugh about that person. Surely the person is not hurt, not physically anyway. So perhaps that doesn't qualify as rebellion against God. But why wouldn't we talk to that person directly? 
Even if all you do is think evil about somebody, you are in violation of God's law. If we go around this sanctuary, starting with me, there is no one who will be innocent. Every single one of us deserves what is coming to the world. God has set aside a time when he will fill this world up with terror, and no one can escape that terror. Still, Jesus wants us to escape that terror that is coming to every corner of the world, not escaping us in running away from it, but remaining in the faith, so he himself will come be with us. He said a surprising thing to the disciples who pointed out the magnificence of the temple to him and to all his followers. He said, when you see these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He says that to you too. Stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Whenever this end will come, he doesn't tell us, but he has encouraged us to be faithful to confess our weaknesses and wrongs, both in mind and action, not because we can read the exact signs that the time has arrived, but because the end can arrive at any time. He has made a promise, and he stands by that promise. If you remain in him, he will in no way cast you out of his presence, not even on that day. He will not let you be a victim of the terrors of that day. He says this, because that is when you will fully realize his amazing love for you. You will know without a doubt that indeed all your wrongs were forgiven because Jesus died for them. In view of that, even now you can stand up and lift up your heads. Jesus spoke the way he did because he had come to take care of the problem, the rebellion against God, the pride of human beings, who think they are in charge and can do whatever they desire to do. He came down to take your place and mine, to suffer what you and I could suffer on that day. He came in weakness, and he was humiliated, even though he was the son of God from eternity, not created. People opposed him, called him all sorts of names to his face, and they finally crucified him. But in killing him, they fulfilled the very purpose of God. Jesus proved that he was not a fake savior by his rising again from the dead on the third day. He wants full forgiveness for you. It is comprehensive, covering everything you have ever done and will ever do against God and your neighbor. That is why when you sincerely confess to him, you can be sure that he hears you and he wipes it away. He will cover you so that escaping the terrors of that day is a done deal for you. So remain in him. Amen.